They say that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, and people often think that I hate dogs, and so I wanted to put that to rest this morning with an intro video that proved that I don't hate dogs. See those cute little dog tricks? Um, we're going to be talking about uh, teaching an old dog new tricks this morning a little bit, so we'll get into that here in just a second. If this is your first time with us at Fathom, we're really glad you're here. We hope you just find yourself uh, growing in faith and family when you're here. Uh, we're really excited about what God's doing here. We, uh, over the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Kingdoms, and, and I can honestly say this, that I, I'm very excited uh, about the community of people that's here, because here's what I believe about if you're here. I really believe that you're seeking God, I really believe that, that you're seeking a greater experience of his love and uh, what he's speaking to you at this time. And so if this is your first time, I hope you experience that and just fall right in, in step with what God's doing here. And like I said, we've been doing this series called Kingdoms, and the whole idea has been to get pride out of our lives and instill humility as a pattern of life that Jesus instilled and said, this is what uh, the life of a believer, the life of a, a leader, especially uh, in the kingdom of God, looks like. And so we've been diving into that and been really excited about it. So the next two weeks, we're really going to be settling in and, and, and focusing in, where the past two weeks we've been looking at a couple of Old Testament queens and kings. Uh, we're going to be focusing our attention to Jesus. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. I'll tell you a little story. When, when Tara and I uh, first got married, um, and every pretty much every week since, um, uh, we had this kind of thing going back and forth about how to fold towels. Do you have like a very specific way like how to fold towels? Uh, I don't. My wife has a very specific way about how to fold towels, um, and, and so I, I probably learned at some point how to fold towels from my mom, but I've, I've long forgotten that, and I just kind of do my own thing. I'm not worried about the decorative striping matching. I'm not worried. I, I just get it done, and I've noticed that every time I do it, Taryn comes back and redoes it her way, and so she's trying to teach me and reteach me over and over again, but like I said, it's kind of tough to teach an old dog new tricks. And it's funny that we say that about dogs and the phrase about dogs, but I don't really think it's about dogs. I think it's about us. I think we just like to pawn it off on dogs because dogs learn tricks pretty well. You probably taught your dogs how to roll over, how to stay, how to not poop all over your stuff, or how to eat your, how to not eat your shoes. Um, so dogs actually learn things uh, much faster than we do. And sometimes for us, shifting to new thoughts, shifting to new patterns, that especially Jesus. Jesus gives us a new pattern for how we're supposed to live, but many times it's very difficult to steer away from that, from the old tricks that we've learned, the old lifestyles that we've learned. And here's what I believe, <clears throat> is that as we engage and we see a clearer picture of who Jesus is, we can't help but be transformed. In fact, I would say if you aren't being transformed in some way, I would, I would argue that you have not seen Jesus clearly enough. You, you have not um, seen him make a difference, and you haven't seen your sin as weighty enough, is how I would uh, often view that. And so I, I think as we see Jesus, as we see a clear picture, it transforms us. And we think differently, we act differently, and that's what, what we're going to be diving into the text this morning. I mean, th think about how you, um, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with our expectations of Jesus. Our expectations in life are a big deal. I mean, think about when the first time you came here, uh, maybe this is your first time here. You have certain expectations of how things are going to be, certain things uh, about how people will greet you or how the music will be. We have expectations from the outside looking in. I mean, maybe in your marriage, before you got married, you had a certain expectation of how things would be, and then they were different. Some things better, some things just different. <laughs> we won't say worse, just different than your expectations, but often we can think it's worse because it's different, right? That expectation that's not met 
kind of breaks us down a little bit. Same thing goes for a new job. You've got a new job, you had expectations that maybe you were going to be working your way up the ladder this fast and you haven't as much. You had expectations when you went into school to get done in this amount of time, but sometimes things just don't work out. Expectations set us up. So here's what I hope as we dive into the text this morning. We get a clearer picture of Jesus and our expectations are not met, but they're exceeded. And are, we're really shocked because I think that's how the Jewish people that had long been expecting a Messiah, someone to come and rescue them. Jesse talked about David last week. They had really thought it was going to be a, a, what they call a Davidic model, someone that would look like David did, that was a beautiful man who sang and who had psalms and who had worked his way up the ladder. But Jesus came very differently. He came uh, to a uh, somewhat poor family in a nothing town and um, rode a donkey and he didn't carry a sword, and he probably built shelves growing up. <laughs> you know, that was, their expectations were shot. So I think as we hopefully get a clearer picture of Jesus, our expectations will be blown away, and as we're shocked, we'll be transformed. So we're going to be going to Luke chapter 22, and really for the next two weeks, we're going to spend our time at the Last Supper. This is a big, this is a big meal. I mean, I don't know if there's any more influential meal in the history of the world? Can you think of one meal that stands out in all of creation more than the Last Supper? Isn't that interesting to you that one meal, for some reason, they would paint pictures about and it would be referenced in popular culture? And it, it's, it's interesting how popular culture has kind of wrapped around the thoughts and phrases of Jesus and some of those things we almost mock and some of those things have just become normal life to us. Jesus is a controversial figure when he lived on this earth, and, and he still is today, um, and, and that's why there's so much conversation around him. And so, um, but as we go to Luke chapter 22, one thing I want to point out is that during the Gospel of Luke, they have nine different meals. Luke, this is a theme for him, meals. It's a very important theme for him. So he presents nine different meals. This is the seventh of the ninth of the nine, and I would say that it's the most climactic. It's the, it's the most crucial to the story, and really it's kind of reaching its pinnacle. You know how a movie goes, it's about, you know, seven out of the nine, if, if, we, if we use the fraction seven out of nine. Like the first, I don't even know how to do that, but the first bit of the movie, for like three-fourths of it, it's really like just all build up, and then there's the climax of the movie, and there's a couple minutes to kind of trail off, and so that's, and kind of wrap up the story, and so that's kind of where we're at here, um, is, is this climactic thing, and meals are important. They actually saw meals as a ceremony. We often just kind of think, whatever, I'll just grab a bite on the road in our kind of fast-paced, um, you know, fast-food culture. Um, but really, this was a, it was a, they considered it a ceremony. They sat down, <clears throat> and they were kind of speaking something. You, you didn't often eat with people of different social class. You, you met with people that were like-minded. And so Jesus is sitting down, and we see that Jesus broke that that, that trend uh, often when he sat down with tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus broke the, the patterns of the world. And so as uh, we're going to be, begin to look at this Last Supper, it's obviously falling right before Jesus goes to be crucified. So again, Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to go. Let me kind of give you what's going on for the first 23 verses, and we're going to pick up at verse 24. Right at the beginning of this book, it happened, or of this, of this chapter, is where we see Judas betray Jesus. And you know what he betrays Jesus for? He basically gives Jesus up for a little bit of money. Um, it, it figures that it would be money that Jesus would kind of be given up for, and that's how someone would betray him. Um, because money's at the root of uh, really our hearts. 
Uh, and that's why the scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so there's a lot to be said of where, our, Jesus said in another way, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so obviously for Judas it was money. He would give it up for a little bit of silver uh, you know, over betraying the Lord. And so we see that at the very beginning of the chapter, and it, this was going to be a big meal because, again, it was a ceremony, but it was kind of a special ceremony um, because they were going to be uh, celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which they'd be celebrating Passover. They'd be slaughtering a lamb in the temple, bringing it home, and eating it that night. So they had to have a place. Um, scripture said that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He didn't have a, a house to go to on a normal basis once he was in his adult life out of his mom and dad's house. Um, and so uh, they had to find a place where they were going to do um, the, the, uh, eat the Passover um, meal. And so he sent Peter and John ahead, say, "Hey guys, go go find a, um, a, a good place for us to do and give uh, f- for us to do Passover and, and meet." And um, he gives them very specific instructions. You're going to go into the city and you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water. Sounds normal, but really this was kind of very uncommon. Men actually didn't carry water. It was women that would carry water on a regular basis in early kind of ancient uh, Mediterranean society. It was women who would carry water. And so when Jesus said, you're going to see a man carrying water, they're kind of like, okay, whatever. We'll find a place, Jesus. They're like, whatever, you know, they're probably just kind of blowing it off. But Jesus was giving them very specific instructions about what they would see. So they go into the city, they see this man, and he leads them to, this, uh, uh, to the house and, uh, you know, they said, hey, the teacher needs a place to meet with his disciples and have Passover. So this man would take it as a great honor that Jesus w- w- would come to him, and the teacher wanted to have Passover in his house. I mean, can you imagine if that was your house? Like, you know, you'd probably be telling your kids, like, yeah, Jesus, like, the Jesus, like, had, had Last Supper. You know that painting? It was in my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's house. You know, we'd have this kind of excitement behind it. And so uh, they, they begin to sit down and have <clears throat> um, the Passover meal. And Jesus kind of establishes kind of a new covenant, a, a new um, ceremony, if you will, kind of at this. And he's going to be speaking some really, really deep things to us that will transform our home lives, they'll transform our work lives, it'll transform our communities if we'll really grab onto this. And so he sits down and he breaks bread, he gives thanks and then he divides it among them, and um, they, 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 he said, this is my body that's broken for you. You know, take and eat it. So they do that. And then he, he does the same thing with wine. He said, this is a representation of my blood that's poured out for you. And then he, this is where the, the meal gets awkward. I mean, I want you to get a picture of this for a second. Think of it, it's you're getting ready to leave town. You're not going to see friends. You're moving to the other side of the world. Let's just put it like that. You're getting, and you get all your friends together for this last meal, and the scriptures say that Jesus, he, he desired with desire, he eagerly desired, the, the, the Greek text is desired with desire to eat this meal with his friends. I mean, think about how excited you'd be for kind of like your last supper with your friends. You'd be really excited about it. And so everybody comes together, and you're having a good time, you know, breaking bread, and then it gets awkward, <laughs> It gets really awkward. Jesus makes it awkward because he says, you know, uh, whoever dips his hand first in here, he's like, uh, into the juice, or, or to the, the wine, excuse me, we do juice here. Um, whoever dips their hand first in, into the cup, you know, he'll betray me. And, and so they begin to have this argument. It gets really awkward for a second in their thing because they're like, it's not going to be me. I'm not going to betray him. It's not going to be me. And our, Judy, Judas had already betrayed him, but there's this kind of awkward situation. And so as they begin to argue about this, it just kind of, I think, spoils the mood, and, and Jesus kind of takes the next few minutes to kind of pour into them about really how they're supposed to live. And, and he doesn't do it in kind of a, a bitter, like, discouraging way. He does it in a very encouraging fashion and to lift them up and point them to the direction of how they're supposed to live 
on this earth. And I mean, if you can kind of get that picture, if it was your party, got everybody together, you desire with desire to have fun, everyone's kind of like, yeah, but you know, you'll be back, and they're not really taking you seriously like the disciples were with Jesus. You'd be kind of bummed that your party kind of takes a sour turn, and everybody starts arguing. You'd be like, come on, guys, it's literally my last meal. Can't we just have one night of peace and quiet? Some of you parents have said that before. Just one night where we don't argue and fight, you know, that would be great. And so we're going to go to uh, verse 24 in Luke chapter 22 here. And remember, this, uh, meals are a very important theme here. We're going to see something about pride and humility, and Jesus tells us what's going on. So, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercised authority over them called themselves benefactors. Look at verse 24, and, and there's something going on here. They're basically comparing themselves. They're like, they're having this argument, and, and I think this, this, there's a lot to be spoken of this when we talk about pride and humility in comparison. Because basically what comparison does, when we begin to compare ourselves to other people, begin to f- fight for position and think we're at a certain place, when we do that, we're basically slapping our creator in the face. And that sounds really heavy, but when, when we say, God, I'd, I'd rather have that, or they're better, or I'm better, we slap our creator in the face either about how he's created us or how he's created someone else. We slap him in the face, and we do this all the time. We make comparisons between who we are and the truth of the matter and who other people are. And the truth of the matter is that we're not even like good judges like in this comparison game, because most of the time we're comparing ourselves. We don't often compare two people against each other, but we compare ourselves against other people, either uh, more than we should or less than we should. Uh, scripture says, have a sober judgment. We've looked at that scripture earlier in, in this series. Have sober judgment of yourself. But we're not even a good judge in this thing. Think if you had two players on two different teams, and, and the reporter comes up and asks them, hey, um, who's better, your team or the other? They're going to say, my team's better. And even if they don't believe it, they're going to say it because it doesn't go well in the media if you say they're going to beat us. <laughs> it's not really good for team morale. Go to the other team, they're going to say the same exact, exact thing. We're not good judges when we're, on, when we're on the scale to be judged. The truth of the matter, the scripture teaches us, is that Jesus uh, we're, we're judged against Jesus and that all of us fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says we all fall short. Every single one of us in this room, even if you think you've been nailing it this week, you've just been absolutely perfect, which I know no one in this room thinks they are. Um, even if we thought we've been doing everything right, Scripture says that even like our best day is like filthy rags, dirty feminine products is the graphic kind of nature. That's exactly what Scripture says about it. And that's how, that's how on our very best day, that's what we are up to the glory of God. And so when we begin to get that sober judgment on ourselves and we realize we can have this, game, um, this kind of idea where we realize we don't want to play that game. We don't want to play that game. Have you ever started an argument and realized you're about to lose it and you're like, oh, never mind, I just don't want to argue about it today. Well, that's because we know we're probably about to lose the argument. Or, if, or uh, have you ever started playing a game and then like, you get a few minutes into it and you're like, just forget it. I don't even want to play. You're just being, you're just being a jerk. I don't want to play. Have you ever done that before? Been around somebody? Maybe when you were a kid. You don't have to say you did it now, which I do that all the time on my Monopoly app. I'll start losing, start having to mortgage some properties, and like, forget it. I'm done. I've done so. So we do that. We want to quit. And so when we make this decision and we realize that we, we don't compare to the glory of God, we say, look, I don't want to be in this fight. God now views us through Jesus' perfection, through his righteousness. And, and, and we don't have this comparison game. We're judged 
uh, only on the, the perfection of Jesus. And it's a completely different model. The comparison game is gone from our spiritual lives, and it needs to be gone from our very our mental thoughts. So if we find ourselves in that, think about what that's doing to you. It, it just it, it digs us in a, in a greater hole emotionally. Um, whether we think we're better or we think we're worse, it digs us in a hole. And so that's the first thing we see. This comparison thing's not a good thing um, for our hearts. Go to verse 25, and, and we see that Jesus is, is telling them something about how to exercise authority. Kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. He's saying, you know, a lot of people, they kind of go about it in our culture one way. They take their authority, and they're really excited about it. And I think in our cult, we live in this kind of culture, where you fight tooth and nail for whatever you have. Um, you know, you, you work your way up. You do what it takes. You've probably heard that. You do what it takes to get to the next level. You do what it takes to get that raise, to get that promotion. You've heard these things in our culture. Uh, you see it politically. You, you see it in, in sports realms. Uh, you, you see it in the church. You see it all over. And that's not what Jesus is calling us to. He, he's saying, you see how people do this. And, and here's something. We're very nearsighted many times. And because something works in the short run does not mean it's going to last in the long run. Because that gets you the promotion today doesn't mean you should do it. Because it doesn't mean it's going to last in the long run. Just because you get what you want, or, or just think about it in this simple terms. You're in a car with uh, a bunch of people, and, and you're the, the, the most loud and, and outspoken one, and, and no one else is speaking up about dinner. Don't you hate those car rides? Like, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? And then someone, finally, whoever is like the, the most type A personality, is like, all right, we're going here, right? You guys have these situations. We're going here. I mean, think about it. If we use the authority that we have, whether it be in that type of realm or any other, and we kind of fight for it, really, in, in, those, in any um, scenario, people begin to despise begin to despise you because you put a title on yourself or because you take a certain role of authority and, and you, you haven't kind of served in the way that Jesus does. Over time, it, it begins to despise. I mean, think about somebody that got a promotion over you because uh, they, were, they, you know, they were taking the boss out to lunch every day for a while, right? Or, or because nobody else was doing it and they just started working. They, started, they put their name on the plaque. You know, that, that they're just going to take the CFO's job. They're just going to put their name in there because he resigned, he retired. I'll just move into the office. You would begin to despise this person. You're like, who are you? You're not our boss. We kind of begin to have this relational thing. And Jesus is saying, look, that's not where your authority comes from. By throwing a title and saying, hey, I'm one of Jesus' disciples, so therefore do this for me or do that. No, that's not where your authority comes from. Just because you put a name on yourself doesn't do it. Go to verse 26. Uh, but you're not to be like that. Jesus is contrasting their way of life and their way of thinking and their cultural mindsets about how leadership and influence happens. And he says, you are not going to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. The one who rules like the one who serves. He, he flips it upside down. Everything that we've thought about society and life and the old tricks, if you will, that we've learned, the old ways about going about business and community and family, Jesus says, think about it differently. And for us, maybe that you've been around the church for a little while, maybe you just kind of got used to this thing that Jesus does things differently but I think we need to take a fresh look at our own lives and not just say, okay, I've heard that before. But say, God, what are you calling me to flip upside down? 
Because most time what we try to do is we try to make these little tweaks. Like I'm going to make this little tweak here and, and do this and that. But really, Jesus calls a complete paradigm shift where we don't lead a certain way, we don't have our influence a, a, one way, but we have it the way he's told us to. Where the youngest, and for them the youngest, they were basically like slaves. They loved them, but they were basically like slaves in their home. The, the, until they kind of reached a, kind of a rite of passage and age of uh, adulthood, they were just like man labor, like in the house. I mean, I'm sure they loved them and those relations, but the family environment was so different at that time. So when he says the youngest, it wasn't the ones that go through the line first. It, the, the kids went very last to walk through the line when it came dinner time. They were the, the last ones to be served, and they served. Uh, and, and he's saying, flip it upside down. You should be like the one who serves. And Jesus points as a, at himself as an example for who's greater. The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? He's like kind of running with their train of thought and then he stops it on a dime and he says, but I'm among you as one who serves. I'm among you as one who serves. And so I think we can begin to look at this in our homes for a moment. Let's stop it and look at our homes. Many times we have different um, approaches uh, to authority in our homes and we lead a certain way, and, and I'll be honest with you, there's, there's parts of, of, of my life that uh, I, I take uh, my, my grandfather and my grandfather's grandfather, is that kind of an authoritative home where you did this because I told you to, and more and more Jesus is calling me to change and learn how to serve, and just because, I, and my mom and dad were um, just a great example of, of biblical marriage, I, I really do believe that, but for many of us, we've had these, these ideas that one serves um, the other exclusively, um, but really Jesus kind of breaks all that down and says that, look, we, we serve each other. Husbands, love your, love your wife as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for them. And, and, and then women submitting and, and serving their husbands, and, and, and so there's a relationship back and forth about that, and Jesus is, points to himself. He's like, look at me. Look how I came. And I'll just tell you, you will not find another king, another king, another God with a small g who came like Jesus did, who came to serve. Every single one of them will look to be served, to worship. Jesus did not, he actually pushed a lot of that stuff away. He said, I came to serve. He said, I came to serve. I'm among you as one who serves I really believe, uh, as again, next week we're going to be in the same kind of passage of Last Supper and, and looking at a different aspect of it um, other than communion here, the, um, this actual portion. Um, but we'll see where Jesus wraps a towel around himself. And, and for Jesus, leadership, influence, authority comes from serving. And so for each one of us in this room that we've been trying certain ways about how to move up or how to get the message through our kids or, or try to you know, build some rapport with our boss or with the coworker who's driving us nuts or, or the people we're trying to lead, we've been trying everything and most of the time we try to force things. Well, should I talk louder? Should I be more authoritative? Should I go about it this way or that way? Jesus says, serve. I, I, I came as the one who serves right now. And that's a, a big message. And this is against what we've kind of naturally understand about the process. 
um, to, to excel in life and, and authority and leadership. And uh, My dad uh, was a longtime trumpet player. Uh, he, he played when he was like um, even middle school. He started playing and he played high school football and he played both sides of the ball. And at halftime, he'd come out and he'd play trumpet in the band like with all his pads on. He was, he was that guy that came out there and did that. And he became a very good trumpet player over time. He played all the way through his 20s and played in the church and and uh, began to get really good at it and, and began to, like, you know, play, like, semi-professionally at different things and get paid, you know, for it. And I think he was really kind of settling, hey, maybe this is something I could do professionally and, you know, quit my job that he's been in for 20, 25 years. And so he, he decided he's going to go get professional lessons from uh, Tampa Bay's and, like, really one of the, the best trumpet players, excuse me, in the southeast. And so he goes to this guy and, and he begins, he goes to his first lesson. And my dad's probably a little bit intimidated. I mean, this is literally like the best trumpet player in the southeast. Uh, I mean, a guy who's been doing it forever and, and, and is just really legit at what he's doing. I mean, you can think about how scared you kind of be going to something like that. And my dad, I imagine, just comes away so kind of rejected and beat down after his first lesson. Because his instructor said, you have to relearn everything. You have to relearn everything. And I can't imagine like what went through my dad's mind. Like I've been playing for 20 years, man. <laughs> How am I supposed to relearn this? I mean, I should just quit. I mean, I should just quit if I've got to relearn everything. But he says you've got to relearn everything. He said because you'll never be able to make it to the next level but with the techniques that you have right now. With the way you go about it right now, you have to relearn everything. For many of us that are caught in our routines, we're caught in our habits, we're caught in our our five-year plans, and we're caught in the way mom and dad led the family, and we're caught in this, we're caught in this current of culture and personal history, and Jesus is saying, just wait a second, you may need to relearn everything. And and if that does for you what it does for me, it it scares me for a second. It, It really scares me. I mean, because, like, what does that mean? What does that, what does that mean? So when I say relearn everything, I don't mean everybody's got to relearn everything. I mean that Jesus turns the paradigm upside down and says that what you thought is a pattern of life, he's like, I'm the pattern for life. I'm giving it here. I'm giving it here as the one who serves. And this isn't something that people get really excited about. But I, I want to read the next couple of verses and, and hope that can change for just a second. Um, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, Jesus recognizes the men that are with him as those who have been with him, have been faithful. And I think it's very important that we connect verse 28 to verses 29 and 30 because of the word and. You are the one that have been me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me. I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred. This word conferred in the Greek, it, it means to make a, a covenant appointment. Uh, a covenant is a, a deep bond between two individual parties, and, and a, a covenant appointment of one's belongings. Like, I'm going to set you in charge of it, basically. The, I, like, this is my will, you know, when I die, like, this is my will, you're in charge of just as my father conferred one on me, and Jesus gives the kingdom away. And what kind of king does that? What kind of king gives away the kingdom just as it was given to him? And see, here's, here's where I think that that's the key. As you realize that it was given to you, and we're responsible to give it away. And, and, and let me just be honest and frank about where Fathom 
stands right now is we're in a, in a state, and I really believe this, of really just settling into complacency spiritually. And, 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 I'm, and I'm dead serious about this, and I don't take this as a, a rebuke or anything lightly, but each one of us be, be very careful about settling into spiritual complacency um, because we cannot offer the kingdom as Jesus gave it to us, as his Father gave it to him. He challenges us to give it away. He challenges us to give the kingdom to someone, to, to release um, what God wants to do in their life, their purpose and their meaning, to, to, to release that into their hands just like it was released into you. That's how we live the kingdom. That's how we live as Jesus lived here, conferring your kingdom as my Father conferred one on me, conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Two things that, that Jesus establishes with this, this very last verse here, verse 30. So that you may eat and drink at my table, and so that you may sit on thrones. He establishes eternal relationship and eternal rule, and Jesus already gave us a picture of what that looks like here on earth. We can get caught up in what that means um, in, in the kingdom to come. We can get caught up in that, have a long conversation about that. I'm not as concerned about that, and that's not really my responsibility. I think more than anything, our responsibility is to do what Jesus called us to do when it comes to relationship and rule on this earth and what this looks like. And I, and I have to ask us the question, what does it look like to, to give up our little kingdoms? What does it look like to give up our little kingdoms and give them away? And what would it mean for you to invite somebody to the table? What would it mean to, to rule from the place of authority that Jesus gave us? From serving. That just because we have someone to go get us coffee for the next month, we're going to get them coffee. We're going we're gonna to begin to serve them. Just because we have you know, uh, kids that will do everything for us when we tell them to, we're going to begin to serve them. We're going we're gonna to flip up the paradigm. We're going to walk as Jesus walked. And, and just because we're going through our normal routines of life and focused on ourselves and, 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 and very internally focused, we're going to begin to give the kingdom away. We're going to invite somebody to the table, and, and we're going to rule like Jesus said to rule with authority, which means serving them. Fathom Church will always be about inviting people to the table and serving them. If we don't get anything else right, I hope we can get that right. If everything falls to pieces, I hope it doesn't fall to pieces, and I know it won't, because if we invite people to the table and serve them, that's living as Jesus lived. And, and, and what Scripture says is that I'll exalt the humble. I'll exalt the humble. And, and the, the funny thing is we've tried a lot of different things in church over the years. Some of you come from a a church, what I call a church background. Some of you don't. And, but even if you haven't, you've come and you've seen different ways to go about this. You've seen people go where they come and like scream and yell and like try to intimidate people to making decisions about their life and those stick for very little most of the time, for, for very little time. You've seen that kind of crazy approach where it's just, there's something just disingenuous about it sometimes. And I'm not throwing, I'm not calling any names out. I'm just saying, my own experience, and I, I've heard that from a lot of people. So we've experienced that, we've tried that, we've tried to kind of go about this crazy approach, and sometimes we, we try to make the gospel, you know, a little more palatable, a little more sexy, if you will, and try to dress it up in a nice, pretty skirt, and really the truth of the matter is that that really kind of leaves us empty and void, too. And then at some point, at some point, we get a clearer picture of Jesus when we read the text for ourselves. And we look at this and we say, Jesus really called me to do things differently. And I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to dive into the scriptures. So many times we just take 
preachers and teachers, we take their word for it. What if they're wrong? What if I'm wrong? (laughs) I hope I'm not. I'm looking at scripture. That's why I kind of go verse by verse to go through that. Don't take it. Don't take my word for it. Study it for yourself. Let this transform you as we look at a clearer picture of, of what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us here to eternal relationship. And we don't get eternity. Like, we don't get, like, in, infinite time. We just get finite time. What we can comprehend in the next 24 hours or in the next two hours, we're trying to figure out what we have for, we're going to have for lunch. But Jesus is talking about relationship for eternity. And some of us, we, we like these glimmers of relationship on Sundays and in our anchor group, but Jesus is, like, talking about walking with us. When you sit at Jesus' table, you don't leave, and he's, it's a bond of fellowship. It's a bond of fellowship, and, and he confers us on that kingdom of relationship and service. That's, that's what the kingdom is about, and Jesus establishes it here, and he maintains it um, throughout his ministry. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're, you're going through, and I don't know where this is resonating with you, but I, I know two things for Fathom Church, and for me, where I'm trying to lead my family, and God knows I, I fail at it on a regular basis. But it's to, to be a person who invites people to the table and to be a person who leads through serving. And for many of you, they've thought, well, I'll never do this or I'll never do that. And we often, again, we're comparing ourselves and slapping the creator in the face with all that. Just begin to lead by service. Begin to, to lead by service. It's not my notes, but one of my favorite psalms is, is, um, is, is the passage in Psalm 37 where it just talks about God giving the desires of your heart. Um, but, it's, but, but you gotta read the rest of the text that talks about putting yourself in him and, and loving him and aligning ourselves with his will. And if we look just a couple of verses past this one we're looking at today, we find Jesus in the garden and he says, not my will, but yours be done. It's the hardest prayer you'll ever pray and it's the most regular prayer you should ever pray. Not my will, but yours be done. Because so easily we make it about us. So easily we make it about us. And what I'm asking us to do today is to make it about the kingdom that he gave to us of relationship. Invite somebody to the table, whether that looks like inviting them to your home literally to love on them because you know they've been going through an insanely hard time and you know they have no one else in their life. If it means inviting them to your literal table, I'm challenging you to do that. If it means inviting someone to your anchor group to experience community because you look in their eyes and you know they're lonely, then invite them to the table. If, if, if it means inviting them to, to this place right here and this table, you know, th- then so be it. Then do it. I, I'm challenging you to invite someone to the table because that's what the kingdom looks like. When Jesus confers, when he gives us the kingdom, I think he's asking us to give it away, to share the kingdom he didn't, he didn't think it was his own to gain and become great in man's eyes on this earth. He was doing what the will of the Father did, to, even to death on a cross. So I don't know what inviting someone to the table looks like for you. There's lots of different ways. And I don't know what it means for you right now to, to, to learn to serve and, and to, to go about God's way of authority and rule. Maybe it's in your home, maybe it's between your spouse, maybe it's between you and, um, and a co-worker, maybe it's between you and your mom or dad, maybe it's between you and your kids, maybe it's the person on the street, whatever it looks like, it, it's just time that we embody it. And not looking to be served, but to be ones who 
do serve, and it takes some breaking. And it takes some breaking away of the old patterns. You ever tried to quit a, an old habit? It doesn't go easy. It doesn't happen just one time and it's over with. It's a constant every single day. Not my will, but your will, God. It's an it's a, it's a everyday um, relationship where you say, God, you've got to do this through me because I can't do this on my own. I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks where I talked about living in the middle, standing in the middle, saying I can do nothing without him and I can do everything with him. I can do nothing, I can do everything with him and through Christ. Um, so again, uh, let's, let's learn to, to walk in relationship, um, to confer that kingdom, invite other people into um, that relationship and then uh, really begin to understand what it means to walk in in that rule and authority, which is serving others, just serving others. Let's bow our heads and pray today. God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you came to serve us. God, we're grateful that we don't walk into a community of people who are are just looking to get something out of me, God. God, but we walk into a community of people where we join ourselves to Jesus. God, and know and know that we're here to serve each other. God, I just pray that you'd give us a vision, God. God, you'd give us a vision of what the kingdom really looks like. God, you'd give us a a vision of what could change in our communities, in our homes, in our work life, God, when we really begin to embrace the kingdom that you gave us and learn what it means to give it away. God, this week when you stir us and say, speak about the kingdom, serve like you're in the kingdom. God, open our lips, God. When they want to stay shut, God, when our feet don't want to move across our our, our property line to our neighbor, God, help our feet to move. God, when our hands are selfish and we just want to put them in our pocket or cross them across our body or across our chest, God, Open them, God. Open them up and say, God, we can't stand in your presence and not be open. God, if it takes a little breaking of our spirit, God, in order that you could resurrect it more fully and holy, God, I pray that you do it. We need your grace. We need your mercy today, God. Teach us to walk. Teach us to walk in your will and not our own. We thank you for trusting us with the kingdom. Help us to walk faithfully through trials, God. In Christ's name, amen.